Welcome to the Wonder Women Tech Show, where we highlight, celebrate, and amplify women and Bill Pock voices. We humanize our role models and curate a culture of vulnerability and belonging. This is a show designed to innovate, empower, and ignite. I'm your host, Lisa Mae Brunson. Innovators, it's Lisa Mae Brunson with the Wonder Women Tech Show. And today's guest is someone who definitely knows how to successfully scale a business. Zaina Rabai is the Chief People Officer at The Real Real. Most recently, she has helped scale the company through rapid growth and a successful IPO. Previously, Zaina was the Vice President of People Operations at Yelp. She joined Yelp in 2011 and built the people function globally from inception to where it is today. She supported the company to successfully scale and grow from pre-IPO of 600 employees to over 5,000 employees. Prior to Yelp, Zaina worked for 10 years in the retail and consumer space and held several HR and management roles at Levi Strauss, Target, and Mervyn's. She has led a range of HR functional areas, including recruiting, talent management, employee relations, technology and systems, compensation, and benefits. Zaina has her Global Professional in Human Resources certification and earned a bachelor's in business from California Polytechnic University SLO and an MBA from the UCLA Anderson School of Management. Zaina! Welcome to the Wonder Women Tech Show. Thanks, Lisa. I'm excited to be here. Yes. Well, when I was reading about you, I couldn't help thinking about how amazing it is to be able to come into a Fortune 500 company and level them up to even greater heights, a skill that I think is so important to have. So I'm so excited to learn more about you. Oh, yeah. No, it's, it's going to be a fun, uh, fun chat today. <laughs> well, you know, I want to know a little bit more about little Zaina. Where did you grow up and what was your childhood like? Yeah, I was a um, bit of a transplant. I was born in Mumbai. I was in mm-hmm. Dubai till the age of seven. And then uh, my family moved to L.A. So, uh, you know, my first kind of 10 years uh, was cross-cultural. Uh, we had... Even in Dubai, um, it was at that time lots of immigrants. And so when I think about my childhood, it was people, just lots of different people from different places, um, you know, helping build up that community. And then in L.A., you know, I was the um, beach bum. I, you know, spent most of my time on the beach, uh, (laughs) in the water, and uh, made my way up to the Bay Area in San Francisco uh, through work in 2007. So did you have any problems like making friends, you know, like sort of navigating the cultural differences? What was that experience like for you? You know, I still remember I was uh, the brown girl that showed up to the first day of school 
uh, with a British accent because in Dubai, um, uh, I had been going to a private school there and people would say, where are you from? And that was actually a really difficult question for me to answer. You know, I would say, well, I'm from here. And they're like, no, 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 but like your accent. And I was like, oh, I'm Indian. No, but it doesn't sound Indian. Oh, well, and so fast forward, um, my early childhood, actually, in some ways, I was always trying to fit in because I felt like the kid that didn't belong, right? I wasn't um, my accent with what I looked like, with the country I was living in, all were... Um, you know, in some ways uh, would throw people off. And even today, um, my name is Zaina, which is a Lebanese name. My last name is Orbai, which is my husband's, it's Romanian. And then I meet people um, and they say, oh, you're Indian. And I'm, yeah, I'm like, yeah, I'm Indian. And they're like, okay, but your name threw me off. So, uh, so now I just have fun with it. But as a kid, uh, it used to really bother me because I wanted, I wanted a group, right? Like this is who I am. And in fact, I was a mix of different things, and it took me um, many years to embrace that and that's and say, well, that's actually what makes me me. Uh, and so I should lean into that and not run away from it. But that was that took decades <laughs> to embrace. Yeah, I think some <laughs> of us are still trying to embrace that and figure out, you know, our place of belonging. Which I think it's it's so interesting to hear hear your early childhood experience in that way, because, you know, I'm going to be honest, when I was first reading your name, I, I had no idea to place you in India. <laughs> and, and like reading about you and even listening to you now, I'm like, oh, yeah, okay, so that's really cool. It's interesting, the kinds of like perceptions that we have of people just based on a name, not even like, not even thinking about anything else that they bring to the table or what they look like, but uh, you know, what's in a name? There's so much. So much, so much. And uh, yeah, so those are always fun icebreakers now. When people <laughs> say, Where are you from? What about your name? So I have fun with it now. <laughs> so you know, how do you feel that, because, you know, I, I understand your parents probably had to navigate this different kind of culture as well, this, this, these cultural changes. Like, how do you feel you were influenced by what they were going through? You know, there was um, an underlying vision my mom had. So, you know, she uh, grew up in India. Uh, then they migrated to Dubai before we were born. And then when my sister was born, so I have a sister that's three and a half years younger, my mom woke up and said, hey, I have two daughters. Uh, that means, you know, uh, I need to think about the life I'm going to create for them. And so the impetus of coming to the U.S. was um, it's not a great place uh, for in an Arab country for women. Uh, going back to India is not necessarily better, so I'm going to move forward. And so the the kind of guiding light for her was I'm going to create a better life for my daughters. And to me, that still resonates deeply. And so I've always had this sense of responsibility going back to, you know, what my mom thought about when we were young little girls and living up to that, you know, and saying, actually, you know, she moved forward so we could have opportunity. Um, and now I'm in a place that I can do that for others. So that um, still resonates deeply when I think about, you know, getting up in the morning and saying, yeah, I'm going to give it my best because guess what? There are women and girls all around the world that don't have the same opportunity. 
you know, I get chills just listening to that story and thinking about how full circle like your mother's legacy for you has come in, in like the work that you do. Um, I mean, it's clear that you've immersed yourself in the culture of people. And so what were some of your earlier influences in your educational journey that helped shape you along the way? Yeah, um, more than even educational, it was probably earlier career um, moves. So I have always been a values-driven individual and my first jobs were in the nonprofit sector. And so when I think about, you know, early leadership and management lessons, it was uh, in a place where I had to recruit and galvanize volunteers uh, uh, who work for free or little to no money. Uh, and so that taught me, you know, lessons about leadership that, you know, leadership is about inspiring people around a purpose and mission, right? Especially when you don't have a paycheck to motivate them with. Yeah. Um, and so very early on, uh, coming out of college and, you know, I was involved in nonprofit work, um, even through college, through AmeriCorps and other programs. I thought if I build the leadership skills, then I can influence and impact regardless of profession or what I become when I grow up. And so that's where I leaned in. It was really about go get the leadership skills so you can mobilize other people uh, and make a difference that way. Um, and then, you know, fast forward in LA, um, the best way to do that was get into the retail industry. So retail had um, these robust management training programs uh, for newly college grads, and they'd put you through the program and mentor you and support you and, you know, um, uh, to then get you a big responsibility. And so I became one of the youngest promoted general managers with a large P&L, a large team. Uh, and those that job, uh, I did it for a few years, I learned the most. That's when I learned I love ownership. I love driving change. I love driving results through people. Um, and so in many ways, that's, you know, what I'm doing today is influencing organizations. Yeah, I really, I really love that, you know, one thing leads into the next. And it's sort of like, you know, driven by that, that desire to grow people, and to develop these cultures and develop opportunities. You know, I know what it means to galvanize people, to galvanize volunteers. I mean, Wonder Ribbon Tech is, is, a, is a huge example of that. It's all I do. And you really do have to, to lead by mission and purpose, right? And get people to um, really buy into that, right? Um, but, but even before, you know, for myself, there, there are these core elements of what make me who I am so that I can become a leader. And sometimes these things are like the hobbies that we do or the, you know, the passions that we have. And I know earlier um, you liked to dance when you were younger and you minored in dance in college. So I want to know, like, what was your favorite kind of dancing and when did you know, the interest change from dancing as a career to what would eventually chart your course forward? Yes, I wanted to be a professional dancer when I grew up. Um, I actually studied all forms of dance. So uh, um, modern dance, I was on the jazz team, Indian classical dance. I used to compete 
and swing dancing. Um, and so I enjoyed it all because it was all about, you know, what's the mood I'm in uh, and let's lean into it. And in some ways, dance is a form of culture and expression and storytelling uh, and needs a lot of focus, discipline, creativity. So it shaped me to be a lifelong learner and be curious about culture and people and movement. And uh, when did it change? I don't know that it changed, but, you know, then you get your uh, parents saying, so how are you going to make money when you grow up? <laughs> ah, and I said, I'm going to be a professional dancer. Well, you know, that, that only works so long. So I would say the, um, I have a creative side of me and I also have a very practical uh, side of me. So the practical side said, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up. So I'm going to put myself into business and lean into leadership in business and see where that takes me. Um, and so that's uh, really, you know, um, the mindset, I still do dance. Um, before COVID, you know, I was part of a um, Oakland um, kind of adult dance uh, dance group, and we would perform, uh, and hopefully that will be back soon. But, uh, but yeah, now it's become a hobby. It, it never really became a profession, but... Uh. <laughs> <laughs> but it just goes to show, like, how important it is for us to keep, you know, those kinds of interests in our lives, even as we're leading these these big companies and scaling, right? Because you you have to have a balance. And, and I was delighted to learn that about you. Oh, yeah. You know, in fact, I did, um, I got so into my career for almost a decade that I stopped dancing. And then someone said, hey, you know, I think you need to go back to like your body and movement to reconnect with what's true to you. And that really resonated. So then I went to my first dance class and it had been, let's say, 10, 15 years and I couldn't recognize myself in the mirror, right? Like I went to do a move and I was stiff and robotic. <laughs> and I was like, whoa, this isn't me. And I thought, wow, this, um, that, you know, dance was a way for me to actually reconnect with my authentic self and bring that to my work life. Uh, so I know that's ironic, but uh, it actually made me, um, yeah, sort of bring bring myself to work rather than, try to be someone else. So, um. well, it makes a lot of sense to me because, you know, something that I recently have encountered in my own sort of burnout and a reckoning with my own <laughs> self, um, is, is, is being reconnected with joy, like the things that bring me joy and passion on a level outside of my work. Right. And so it makes a lot of sense to me. Like once I reconnected with that and even my sort of spiritual practices, like meditation and things of that nature, I was, I'm actually able to show up even better. So you've had the opportunity to work with major companies like Levi, Target, and Mervyn's, as, as you mentioned before. Um, what were some of the challenges that you encountered along the way? And how did you navigate through them as you were, you know, developing your career? Yeah, I think it's my early career... It's about having good mentors and managers. I uh, was always very curious, very ambitious, eager to learn. And I would, um, you know, what I chased was that learning and where people, that people um, were ready to teach me, people were ready to guide me. And 
and where that were that was a disconnect it didn't make sense right because to me growth was um for you know there are people that have done that been there made mistakes learned along the way uh and mo- a lot of my decisions were uh working for people rather than the company um which is which is how I grew my career yeah, I think there's something to be said for really good managers and really great mentors, which, you know, unfortunately, so many of us actually don't experience that. Well, we might have good managers, but no mentors. I mean, I didn't have mentors most of my life. So men being old, the oldest as well, like it was really difficult. Like I was I was the been there done that, made all the mistakes person. So I I went out and charted the path forward without having those in place. But I do know that, you know, I kind of feel like if I had had those, maybe some of the challenges I personally encountered wouldn't have been so challenging. So do you feel like that because you had some of those things in place that you were, they were able to buffer your experiences, do you feel? Yeah, more than buffer, you know, someone had given me given me good advice. And when I think mentors, you know, they change, you know, there are different people in different times of your life that you connect with. So I'm not talking about, you know, one, uh, you know, grandiose mentor, but um, uh, it was good advice early, which is, um, you know, make friends with people two levels ahead of you. Uh, make mm. strong friends with peers because you will be able to um, relate and then make sure you're also paying it forward, uh, and staying connected with youth and two levels below you. And so I've kept that always at the front of and center of like, what is my circle of, um, uh, colleagues when you think about, you know, moving your career and wherever you are, someone's two levels ahead of you, two levels behind you. And then you have your peers, and making um, strong relationships at every level because it keeps you grounded, mm-hmm. uh, right? You have a well-rounded um, set. And so that, uh, and so I've had to look around and, you know, some of um, some of the people that um, were below me have now advanced or peers now in different industries. There are people, um, you know, that I looked up to that now I'm in their peer group. Um, and so to me, it's uh, in some ways, you know, uh, thinking about sort of all all aspects, because there's something to learn from, you know, um, all sides. Well, so you eventually landed business development and HR opportunities with Yelp and The Real Real, which is the largest online luxury retail brand, helping to scale those businesses Can you educate us on what it means to scale a company and what that process looks like? Yeah, I um, love high growth companies because it um, puts me in a very active role where I have to think about today and tomorrow. And so we're shaping for what we need now and we're building for tomorrow. And so it takes, it's almost like a set of uh, problems and priorities and um, getting clear on what um, what matters now, uh, and a lot of um, high growth companies. Kind of going back to our thread on leadership and management. Um, I'm a big believer that culture uh, is uh, scales through people managers, your frontline managers, 
Uh, they're the conduits. They're the ones taking the vision of the company and bringing it to reality. I'm also a big believer that when done well, high growth companies add uh, value to their communities they serve and their customers, but they also transform people's lives through career opportunities. Right? When you are a high growth company, you are creating new jobs, you're creating jobs sometimes for that individual uh, and helping their trajectory in a very different way. And I saw this at Yelp, I've seen it at the Real Real, where you know someone comes in to a role three years later, four years later, it's completely changed the trajectory of their life um, through their experiences um, at the company. So that's what really excites me when I think about um, high growth companies, uh, um, that are successful. So it sounds to me like you feel the success of a high growth company comes right down to how the people are developing and mm-hmm. growing. I and love it, that. Not, right. I mean, it's like the, you know, success is yes, you've got to have a healthy business and create profits for your shareholders um, you're adding something new in the community. We talked about joy, both Yelp and the real world bring me joy, uh, hopefully bring joy to millions of other people uh, in the community. Uh, and then it's also, um, you know, bringing something important to the individuals that uh, are, are building that company. So I think it's like all three work um, together jointly and help one another, right? If you've got an engaged uh, employee base that's growing and learning, they're going to put more effort into the company and take care of the customers. And those people are then going to spend more. So I actually think they're all interrelated and, um, build upon each other. Yeah. As you're talking, I'm thinking happy people, happy profits. (laughs) (laughs) I think there's a hashtag in there somewhere. (laughs) That's right. Happy people, happy customers, happy profits. Happy people, happy profits. That's right. Yes, I love that. Oh, wow. So, um, and I'm going to tell this to my team later. Um, So what are you most proud of in the roles that you've held? What am I most proud of? It's leaving something that's lasting. Uh, I... You know, while I have lots of interests and a bit of a squirrel brain, I actually get a lot of pride on working on something over time and then turning around and saying, that's going to live, you know, beyond me, right? And so I tell my teams, whatever we're introducing at the real, real culture, do it well, do it right, because that outlives, um, you know, all of us, because it becomes the foundation for the culture of the future. And uh, so I take a lot of pride of like, there are things, um, you know, even at Yelp, I left five years ago, but I know there are still practices that are part of the culture today that I was a part of building. And that gives me a lot of pride to build um, things that are sustainable and lasting. Oh, I just really appreciate, you know, your legacy and what you're building. We're going to take a break for today's Pioneering Women segment, and we will be back. (music) 
Today's pioneering woman is Mae Jemison. Jemison is an American doctor, engineer, and former NASA astronaut. Jemison became the first African-American woman to travel in space. Jemison left NASA in 1993 after serving as an astronaut for six years. She started the Jemison Group, a consulting company that encourages science, technology, and social change. She also began teaching environmental studies at Dartmouth College and directed the Jemison Institute for Advancing Technology in Developing Countries. She has also written several books and appeared on many television programs, including an episode of Star Trek, The Next Generation. In addition to her many awards, Jemison has been inducted into the National Women's Hall of Fame and the International Space Hall of Fame. Thank you for your pioneering contributions, Mae Jemison. Hello, innovators. We are back talking with Zaina about what it takes to grow people and to grow a company. And sometimes you just have to get on that dance floor to make it happen. So Zaina, I love that you are passionate about growing people. So what do you feel are some important golden nuggets from, for people to take away from your legacy that you're leaving? Well, I think my legacy is yet to come. So I know I'm passionate about growing people and organizations. uh, And I'm also passionate about um, the movement of bringing underrepresented uh, groups forward. And so specifically, I've been spending a lot of time thinking about um, how do we help women rise, right? And one area... um, that I'm intrigued by is closing the gap um, of wealth and ideas. And so I meet women who are wealthy, who are motivated to make a difference, uh, want to get connected to something bigger than themselves, uh, want to create their own legacy. Uh, And then I also meet women who have these great ideas that are looking for funding Uh, but maybe it's not resonating in the existing VC community. And so I think there's this huge opportunity to bring, build an ecosystem of female investors and female founders um, to build diverse and founding teams. And and not only is it kind of helps them rise, but uh, I'm also a big believer outside of representation Um, there are going to be businesses that are born that wouldn't otherwise be uh, because there is a different lens uh, and a different perspective that both the investor and the entrepreneur could bring. So um, yeah, I uh, I'm really passionate about this because I, I, you know, I talked to both sides and I thought you two should talk. So I'm thinking about how do I, you know, Uh, build bridges um, so other people can build their own legacies. I love that because I feel like, you know, there is so many um, people with these amazing ideas or who have even tried to launch probably, but didn't have all the resources and funding that they needed to, to be able to scale, to be able to 
bring it to fruition. Um, and then you're right. There are these women who do have the funds, but who don't know how to invest properly or ethically or even innovatively. Um, and so there's this untapped potential to build what what isn't already there. And I like where you're going. I feel like if anybody knows how to make this happen, it's it's going to be you. <laughs> All right. I'm glad you've got confidence in me, Lisa. No, I just, uh, I think because one of my strengths is um, uh, sort of living in that white space of being the bridge of different communities, ecosystems. I think it goes back to my upbringing of like, I'm the person that can hear the things that are unsaid in the room, right? Okay, this person's trying to convey this, but this is what they're hearing. And so I think about myself as sometimes a connector and the bridge. Uh, and a lot of what I do today is, you know, making sure that um, we're unifying the organization and that different groups are talking to one another. So yeah, I'm, um, yeah, I'm pretty passionate right now about getting, uh, kind of getting women with wealth and women with ideas uh, connected to make some magic happen. Matchmaker, matchmaker. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I love this quote of yours from Profile Magazine. And you said, you must be intentional when introducing change. If you have a great agenda and no buy-in or time, it won't work. So can you go a little deeper on what you mean by that? Yeah, I think people leaders um, sometimes uh, underestimate what it really takes to build culture. Um, I think there's lots of great ideas, but it takes time and it takes, and it's not uh, sequential, right? Sometimes it's one step forward, two steps back, three steps sideways, and then you finally get to where you're hoping to go um, and crashing and burning that. sometimes in the middle of that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And you're, and you're dealing with humans, right? Sometimes the leaders change in the organization. I mean, uh, you know, even in a team, right, you might have a team of five and one person changes the entire dynamic of that group changes. So for me, um, culture change is all these micro increments of like planting the seed, letting it grow, like, all these little things on a daily basis that end up being evolutionary change over time. Uh, and when I go back to what matters and what makes me proud is lasting change. You know, I'm not looking to go do a bunch of stuff and then you leave and it sort of all fell apart, um, right? Uh, to me, successful teams and companies are uh, things that sort of outlive, you know, the individual. So I think a lot about micro incremental change being obviously very intentional with what that is so that it builds, builds um, and grows into something uh, meaningful. Yeah. It's, it's interesting because, you know, and you, I mean, you're like the expert on, on, on HR and building teams and, and culture. And that's something that I think companies are really trying to get quote unquote, right. Like, what is this culture of belonging? What is this culture of inclusion? Um, what is this culture of people that you're talking about? Um, what do you feel are some of the things that they're not doing right? Things that that companies are just not 
getting it together with? I will focus on the last 12 months, right? A lot has changed culturally. So when I think about the biggest culture change um, uh, is really three things. One is purpose, two is community, and three is safety. Um, And when I talk about purpose, there now is the sentiment of people really want to feel connected to something bigger. They want to know their work matters, right? Um, The second around community, people are hungry to feel connected to other colleagues um, and other team members and feel like, you know, the belonging part of the team. We've been in isolation. And then this sense of safety that like, I need a safe space, um, both physically and psychologically. uh, So then I can just show up uh, and not have to always be filtered. And that's a pretty big fundamental shift that's come into the workplace um, that if organizations and people leaders do not acknowledge that now this is what matters right now, um, I think they're sort of missing the boat. Uh, So um, I think the lines between professional and personal are blurred. I think Uh, with everything that went on sort of, you know, with the um, social justice movement and, you know, with uh, with the government changes, I think people are looking for um, for that connection in the workplace. Um, So, yeah, it's a workplace is the responsibility to step up to that is much more uh, to lead with that, to build Uh, to have people feel connected to purpose, community, and feel safe. I'm so grateful to hear that because, you know, as as we at Wonder Women Tech navigate this unique opportunity to reposition ourselves and actually repositioning ourselves back to the basics of, of our mission, like getting back to that, because over time, you know, what, what's happened for us is that we kind of started going along with the status quo of what, you know, our partners, our Fortune 500 partners expected from us. Um, and what they expect is business as usual. And it's not business as usual anymore. And so um, I actually took a step back. I'm, we're about to make some major announcements. Um, but I took a step back because I'm like, we c- it isn't business as usual. And exactly what you just said, people are hungry for connection. My work has always been in this field, social innovation, um, humanity focused, you know, um, and getting back to that root is is imperative for, for me personally and my organization. But it's also something that I'm seeing as an opportunity for other organizations to get on board with, that, that this is an opportunity to redefine um, the culture, that the workplace culture. Yeah, absolutely. You know, the irony is we're in so much flux that in times of flux, you have to slow down and reflect. Otherwise, you're going to sort of miss how things have changed. And so I encourage people that are listening and to, you know, those that are in leadership positions is like pause and figure out what shifted, right? Because you now have to uh, then shift your priorities, you know, with uh, with where things are going, Um uh, and there have been some big monumental shifts. The other thing, Lisa, I wanted to mention is, at least in the HR space, 
there's this whole thread on the great job migration, the great career migration, right? That more than 50% of U.S. workers are looking to make a career change this year. And we're already seeing it in the data. There's more jobs open uh, than we've ever seen in the last um, 20 years, I believe. Uh, and people are waking up for either, I'm going to go and go for that promotion. I'm going to go do something else that matters. I'm going to go live where I want to live. People redefining their careers, which means uh, that the culture has to has to meet that need and want, uh, yeah. which is... Um, happening this year. Um, so what is your hope for the future of work as we navigate these uncharted waters and rebuild our post-pandemic economy? Let me answer um, where I think, you know, the work is going. Um, it's going to, it's going to be a hard challenge for organizations because uh, the trends that I'm seeing are customization, flexibility, uh, choice, right? People want to write their own story, um, but now they're part of an organization that also has its own story. Uh, and so how do you create flexibility, but yet still directionally move uh, towards a shared goal? Uh, and so I think organizations that will be able to figure out, figure that out where you can have individual flexibility and choice yet still contribute to the larger organization will win. Um, so that's what we're seeing, whether it's, you know, hybrid work, how you work, where you work, when you work, um, what you work on. I mean, all of that is in many ways being disrupted. And I think everyone's figuring it out right now. I don't know that there's any company out there that has, but it's going to come down to um, giving people choice and flexibility to be able to contribute. Yeah, that's so true. So at Wonder Women Tech, we create a platform where authenticity and vulnerability are powerful traits. Can you share something with us that you have never shared with anyone before? I think I have um, kind of a strange relationship with time. Uh, not that I think about death a lot, but I you know, feel like we don't have enough time. Uh, and time is always short and time is always running out. And so when I wake up, you know, I'm always like, just go for it, make it happen because you just don't know what the next day will bring. And if anything, COVID is just, you know, um, kind of, uh, made that even more louder. Uh, so, um, yeah, so I'm the person, if you meet me, I feel like we don't have enough time. So, uh, so make it happen. I definitely agree with you there because like this, this year, I think a lot of us can relate to that actually, Zaina, because, you know, s several of us have experienced a lot of loss during this, this, this pandemic, during this year of COVID with people being sick, family members being lost, friends. Um, I know I have, and I know several of my team have. I mean, honestly, I've never had to navigate more loss through from my team's perspective to like have to create these environments where we're supporting each other because somebody's passed. And that's never been more true than now. And it has actually amplified that very under real understanding that time is limited. You know, I think so many of us are like, oh, you know, we have all the time in the world. And then as we get older, as we are 
faced with our own mortality with this sick with this with this illness right that's threatening all of us um we can all relate to that i mean i wake i've never before in my life felt as connected to that statement as i do today um you know we lost somebody on our team this year and and uh, very recently, it just hit six months, and I can't even like it's it's unreal. I feel like it was yesterday, right? And so, what it's done for me is more now than ever. I'm like, I need to get this done and this and that, and I want to make sure that I'm doing this, and I want to make sure I'm doing that. And legacy is something that's on my mind constantly. So even though it's you know tomorrow, to me to me sometimes it's like today like what am i doing today that's going to make like that i know that i'm creating that lasting change as you were talking about before so that's just so beautiful thank you for sharing that so you've definitely taken us on a journey from india to the bay area to you know building these companies from these brands that we've all shopped at to you know brands that we've definitely utilized with Yelp and now this luxury brand with the real real which you know is is exciting because they they've now expanded to this multi-billion dollar company under your leadership if you had to do it all over again would you take the easy road or the road less traveled and why oh less traveled way more fun i love uh i love um a little bit of a thriller and excitement and the unknown. So uh, the less traveled um, always. Uh, but I do say in that um, sometimes startups, uh, and not that the Yelp and the Real Real now are big companies, uh, there are sentiment of like, we have to you know, be the first to do this. And then you think, well, there are other companies that have done this well before. So while I say take the less chartered, there's also some mistakes and lessons uh, people ahead of you have uh, learned. Uh, so why not make it uh, bring those along as you're paving your own path? I love that. We haven't heard that kind of an answer. It's like, take the road less traveled and make sure you're making it as easy as possible. <laughs> Like bring your water, right? Like bring bring the things you need. Like you don't need to go too rogue. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. Bring your rations. (laughs) I never looked at Like, do you have your picnic basket? Do you have your crossword puzzles? Um, Bottle of wine. Bottle of wine. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Must have that. And a charcuterie board. Like, I'm now into charcuterie boards. So, like, if that's going to make it much easier on that crazy, treacherous road, I'm I'm all here for it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Zaina, you know, um, it, it's been so fun, like, hanging out with you, learning more about you, and really just getting to know, you know, who you are underneath all of this, you know, amazing success that you've built not only for yourself, but for these, you know, high growth companies, for these for these brands that we can all get on board with and resonate, you know, and I think it's so interesting to read a bio and say, holy crap, I'll never get there. I'll never, I'm, uh, she has something that's so totally different than myself, a star quality that I'll never have. And it's so inspiring to know that 
you and I are so much alike in that, you know, we love to laugh. We love to have our joy. We, we, we make our mistakes. We honor the people who've supported us along the way. And, and, and this humbling factor, I love that you have this, this humbleness to you that allows me to feel like I could be friends with her. She's doing these amazing things and, and making these billions of dollars for these companies, you know, helping them make that 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 magic. But I could be friends with her and have that wine and charcuterie. So thank you for spending these moments with us at Wonder Woman Tech. Absolutely, Lisa. Anytime you're welcome to my house. Anytime I'll open up uh, a good bottle of wine. So it was uh, so great to be part of the show. Thank you so much. And we look forward to seeing all the Thank you so much for being here, innovators. Make sure you give us a like and share the podcast with your network. We'll see you next week when we take on the world one more time.